to dynamite with john pollock and waiting oh very nice nice that was a good one that was a good introduction it was almost like a like a ed mcmahon type of introduction yeah i mean i mean here's johnny would be maybe your line wouldn't it i i guess so yes all right well, here we are. Another show, another day. Lots to discuss from tonight's edition of AEW Dynamite. Thank you to everybody for uh, joining us live in, in the Zoom chat. Always uh, always interesting to log in and hear what the topics of the day are prior to us uh, going live. And here we are to talk about a lot of news that's going on. Are you ready? I'm ready, man. There's always so much to talk about. It seems like it's a never-ending stream, and yeah, let's get it right into it. All right, let's start off with, uh, well, we talked about it Monday, but uh, the NHL formally announcing its deal with Turner Sports, a seven-year deal that will go into effect beginning next season. Uh, This will pay the league uh, an average annual value of $225 million. But for the purposes of our audience, the question, how will this affect pro wrestling on TNT? And it appears that as of yet, this from uh, Jeff Zucker of Turner Sports, they have not determined which night of the week uh, we'll see games on TNT. If you are an avid NHL viewer on uh, NBC and its uh, properties, the NBC Sports Network, for instance, Wednesday is a big hockey night. And should that be their argument of wanting to maintain a consistency with its hockey audience um, that that could present interesting challenges on the AEW front. What we do know is that it calls for up to 72 games per season. Half of the first and second round playoff games will air on TNT and TBS one set of the conference finals, uh, as well as three of the next seven Stanley cup finals during that contract. So I think it's a given way that even if it's something where it does not impact Wednesday's playoff season will be all over the place with the schedule. And Tony Khan was on Busted Open Radio today and did talk about this uh, and the fact that, you know, he put over the partnership with TNT and said that they do have um, this is actually the, the straight um, transcript from uh, Fightful. I know Wednesday night is our slot and our home. I'm thrilled with our relationship with or in our partnership with TNT. It's the lifeblood of our company and our primary revenue source. It's the way most fans get exposed to AEW and see our show. Every Wednesday that we do Dynamite, for a lot of wrestling fans, it's a really important night of the week. I want everyone rest assured that they're not going to have to worry about these kinds of major... Uh, Goes on to say, we we have a contract with over two and a half years left for Wednesday nights in this slot. If there was ever an opportunity to move or a deal to be had, I would consider it. If we did something, it would have to be a really good deal for AEW and make sense for us. As it stands right now, this is the spot we're in. If we move, I would certainly consider a deal if there was something in it for AEW. So Tony Khan is stating it from his perspective that... They have an ironclad contract that calls for Wednesday nights. That said, 
you're in a partnership. That is the nature of being in a partnership with a broadcaster is that there is going to be, you know, conflicts that arise out of this. And so I don't think you can discount that this could be a, a major impact on AEW. It could also be something avoided. Like, it is not like AEW has been underperforming. It has been it has been noted in a lot of these um, outlets that have covered this NHL deal that they have a very strong wrestling program on Wednesday nights. And do they want to upset that, especially if the options are putting this head-to-head against one of the WWE's main shows, which may not be advantageous for AEW. So there's a lot of interesting elements to this deal and could have a big effect, could have no effect, could be somewhere in the middle if it's if it's um, you know seasonal where the conflicts arise. You know, just hearing that quote from Tony Khan, it seems to me like he is quite aware that there is a possibility that he will be asked to move, but it also seems like he wants to know how he can use this to his advantage. Um, I, you know, it seems like they have a great relationship with TNT, and I imagine TNT is incredibly happy with their relationship with AEW. Um, but at the same time, I also probably feel like Tony Khan at this point probably thinks his product product is somewhat undervalued. That the contract that they signed, you know, maybe as uh, you know, um, if you compare to what it is it, relative to scale of Raw mm-hmm. and SmackDown, you could certainly make that argument. Uh, 175 over four years. That's not even that's that's less than the amount Raw or SmackDown are getting per year. Uh, when, when you look at the you know the, the difference in scale of they do not have the audience of Raw or SmackDown, but they are n- not as far off that there is that discrepancy in rights fees. And it seems like he is looking at, at the potential here with them being asked to move as somewhat of a point of leverage to renegotiate. So we shall see if TNT would agree or if you know maybe there there's some fine print that says they could do whatever they want. But um, in either case, we await to see what 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 becomes of. Could you imagine if like we spend like all those months talking about this Wednesday night war, and somehow, some way, there could be no wrestling on Wednesday? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not out of the. I, I guess it. It really. I think where there's a lot of uncertainty is that. TNT came out of left field. Uh, Turner came out of left field to land this NHL package. I mean, it was, you know, everyone knew that like NBC was the incumbent. And then it seemed like Fox was the front runner. And then out of nowhere, it sounded like last week, that's when Turner really ramped things up and they ended up scoring the deal. So I'm sure there is a lot of reaction this week where it, it people are just processing this in all of the different areas that this could uh, impact, including uh, the re- the wrestling end of things on Wednesday nights. So it seems like this deal has been announced and it's not, I mean, you have Jeff Zucker basically saying like, we don't know where we're necessarily putting this yet. Like it's not a case of, it just feels like we landed something big and now we've got to figure out a programming schedule. To just kind of lay the cards on the table. What are the options for AEW if it's not going to be Wednesday? So the obvious ones are like Tuesday and Thursday are NBA nights. And I cannot see that like that is the bread and butter of Turner sports. I do not see them messing around with their NBA coverage. Monday nights are open, but that also comes with the fact that, you know, Tony Khan does not want to be going against the NFL and what leverage does, does Tony Khan have in, in that kind of a situation? It becomes interesting and delicate. 
then there's Friday. And again, Turner also has Major League Baseball on top of this. So I don't know how that necessarily figures into everything on top of this. Uh, Fridays to me are not a great night. I would not want to be putting AEW against SmackDown. And I just think it's a less appealing night overall. It's like if you get back to a normal world, it's like Friday nights were like Thursday nights were really advantageous for wrestling because and just for advertising in general, because that's a big night to sell all your movies that are coming out the next day for, for one example. So that's kind of what you're looking at. The other options, it's like you do have TBS, but I don't know if you want to make such a drastic change in, in that sense, but TBS is also a window for the NHL as well. So it's like Turner sports. They have a wealth of of sports programming when you consider NBA major league baseball and now the NHL that they've invested heavily in on top of this, thriving, growing wrestling product that they have cultivated from the ground up. Good problem to have if you're TNT. Yeah. Jeff Zucker can be like, hey, you guys figure it out. I don't know. So there you go. That's uh, It will be an interesting uh, discussion as the intersection of pro wrestling and hockey has finally happened in 2021. I've been waiting for it. All comes back to Felix Potvin and the Fiend. Yes. Yeah. You're going to have to be, have like cat like reflexes to be able to uh, navigate all these uh, programming issues. Uh, let's move on. Uh, dark side of the ring. Um, and we will later this weekend uh, be chatting with both Evan Husney and Jason Eisner. That interview will be dropping uh, this weekend. Uh, but Vice TV has released all of the subjects uh, coming up this year. We, the first half of the season uh, will be Brian Pillman, which is the season premiere next week. The Collision in Korea uh, set of shows that WCW uh, went over for in 95. Nick Gage, I know the one you're most looking forward to. The Ultimate Warrior, Grizzly Smith, and the Dynamite Kid. And then they'll take a break. And later this year, they will resume season three with the WWE Steroid Trial, FMW, Luna Vachon, The Plane Ride from Hell in 2002, XPW, Johnny Canine, and Chris Canyon. The fact that Nick Gage and XPW and FMW are in here, it really does tell me the uh, the ownership that the creators have, that it is pretty much, you guys, uh, here are the tools, you guys pick the topics. Well, by season three, I imagine they've earned a great deal of trust. And I look forward to speaking with the producers on Sunday just about maybe the, the selection process and really how much advice, how much input advice would have had. I, I I can't imagine somebody at Vice being aware of what XP oh, would be. Johnny Canine. That's an awesome idea. I was just chatting about that with my kids the other day. <laughs> yes. But regardless, I mean they've they've really built up their brand incredibly well to the point where, you know, they're naming other shows Dark Side Blank Blank Blank, right? So I imagine they have really full reign to be able to talk about whatever they want. And we're at the point now in season three. Season four, if you really want to consider this like half seasons, you know, uh where they could get into some of the really <laughs> topics that you know, you will never see covered on a WWE network or AEW, A&E biography or anything like that. You don't think we're going to get an A&E biography one day on Nick Gage? Maybe someday, maybe someday. Um, I'll I'll tell you the one time I'm interested to see a lot. um, The WWE steroid trials, I think you could do multiple hours on. 
Um, the Ultimate Warrior one, I just I find that really fascinating because we're going to have the direct comparison to the A and E version within weeks of each other, if not closer. And also is the fact that uh, David Bixenspan is working as a researcher on this season, and I will guarantee, especially on those two subjects, I imagine David Bixenspan has filed every Freedom of Information Act request known to man to get every document possible uh, on these figures. So I think these will be heavily researched subjects in this upcoming season. Um, uh, as always, of some very complex topics as well. well not to say well, others are not researched. Yes. Well, as always with, with production about these shows, I'm always curious to see what they use for video footage. Uh, we know they've done a great job with the reenactments, but I mean, there are certain things like in that Ultimate Warrior but, uh, Dark Side of the Ring where footage exists out there that um, I wonder if they'll straight up play on TV. You know, some of his more controversial moments. Um, it, it, that one I'm really interested in. Yeah, it's like, I, and the more you think about it is, like, it's like the A&E one, it's like, they're a, it's a two-hour A&E biography on The Ultimate Warrior. I don't you know how you balance the two of, I think you have to address some. I'm not expecting a complete look you- at The Ultimate Warrior on the A&E version, because you know there's going to be, at minimum, a chapter of that documentary dedicated to The Warrior Ward and why we honor this man every single year. That becomes very difficult if you're trying to navigate a lot of the uglier side of the Ultimate Warrior. That, to me, it's the you have to at least delve into that, and that to me is like the most tricky one that A and E is going to attempt. And if they don't go all the way, you're going to have the Vice comparison that I think is going to go warts and all. And there's no shortage of them on a subject like that. Certainly, absolutely. You know, but in the grand scheme of things, like would A and E or WWE care all that much about that? You know, we imagine the Vice documentary audience will be significantly smaller than the A&E audience. So maybe that's not even something they pay that much attention to. Um, so I am not going to go all into the details of this because it's it probably could be its own uh, documentary. But uh, Drake Wirtz, uh NXT official, was on a county commissioner's meeting on Tuesday in Seminole County in Florida. This was, uh, the commissioners had opened it up where uh, residents of Seminole County could zoom in and they were allotted a time to uh, give their thoughts. And Drake Wirtz uh, called in uh, reportedly at the Performance Center wearing an NXT shirt and gave this lengthy, well, uh, I I guess this not so much lengthy, but a pretty impassioned speech um, against mandating the wearing of masks uh, specifically for children, believing that it uh, causes, it it increases the chances of sex traffickers to be able to go after children who, while masked, cannot give off nonverbal cues. Uh, Absolutely no evidence uh, to support this by Drake Wirtz or any kind of anything uh, with a basis to reality uh, from his statements. And, you know, speaking of David Bixenspan, I linked to this in the the story that we have up on the site, but he has gone in depth about a lot of the issues attached to uh, Drake Wirtz. And there is also reporting uh, from Sean Ross Sapp at Fightful that Drake Wirtz was suspended either formally or informally earlier this year. And the fact that a number of his duties have been reduced over the past number of months. But this this is one 
way where I think that it's very difficult if you're WWE of how do you go about handling this of someone. It's one thing on people's personal time. And we have seen WWE over the past number of months when it comes to uh, third parties, uh, they will have a great say in how you uh, deal with your personal time. Uh, This was someone that, I mean, he's there with the NXT logo on his shirt and it almost forces WWE to have to make some kind of decision here on how this is making the company look. Um, when you have someone throwing out these baseless conspiracy theories in a public setting, whether like he is not, he is acting as a private citizen, but he is a public figure that is on camera for this company every single Tuesday. I totally agree with you. Uh, beyond the fact that I think this is, you know, the, maybe one of the most public demonstrations of Drake Wartz's views that we've seen. Uh, and the fact that he is wearing the company's, you know, one of their brand's logos on his chest as he's doing it. We know this company has fired people for far less, for far more unjustified reasons than, you know, something that hurts their PR image. So I I feel like if they, you know, if they wanted to let the guy go, they probably would have let the guy go a long time ago. Maybe it's, you know, something where they feel like it's too much of a hot button issue. Maybe we just kind of let it simmer down. This now, I think, is hotter than it's ever been. Um, I think people are going to call on them to make a decision because inactivity in itself is a bit of a statement from them. So, um, you know, all I can say is watching that video, the man clearly deeply believes in the words that he is saying. And for that, I have extreme pity for him because I just I think he's just been brainwashed and it's just sad. You know, it, it's very dangerous, else. like a lot of the stuff that that you are throwing out there in a, in a public forum. And that becomes the issue that, you know, if WWE were to take action and think that this is a bad image for the company to let him go, um, there will be blowback against the company from a segment of the population. No doubt there will be. Um, Who cares, that, though? Uh, you know, that's like. I mean, I, I I know what you're saying, John. And I guess also for the company to look at it, like what is uh, justifiable in terms of like like recourse that Drake Wirtz could have stating, I have a freedom of expression to share my views. Fine, sure. But again, they fired people for far less. And, yep. you know, it's not like I don't think contractually they did. They, I don't know what, what their contract is, but, you know. I also I'm not really that deep into like all this all this stuff that you know he's been spewing, but I have to imagine even Republicans probably think of this dude as a bit of an embarrassment. I hope, I really sincerely hope, because if man, if then again you listen to this call and you hear the people cheering him on, like at that. Oh yeah, he was getting like applause breaks during this. It it, it, it's just it's 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 crazy. Like I just. Yeah, it's like this exists and this is not limited to one person. Like there is a large amount of people that believe these thoughts. And it's I, I was more upset at I mean, th- this was just it was totally the, just baseless and insane to listen to. I was more upset of a guy like Joe Rogan on his show this week. Did you hear these comments? Yeah. About if you are a young 21 year old that's healthy um doesn't think you should go and get vaccinated. And when you're someone at the level of Joe Rogan, and I do take into account the level and strength of your platform, because Drake Wirtz going on this Zoom call, 
he's not reaching a ton of people. Joe Rogan is reaching millions of people that do look upon this man um, and probably are influenced by him. And to be a year into this pandemic and to have such a non-understanding of the virus, like just from the fact of this belief of, well, how's it going to affect you without any thought to spread or anything? I just... It blows my mind that someone that talks to people on a daily basis about many, many issues in this pandemic, that a year in, this is the conclusion you have reached, that you'll be fine. Like, it's just, uh, I don't know. I was just angry hearing about that and just the number of people he reaches uh, with this. Anthony Fauci went on to the Today Show to refute Joe Rogan's comments. Yeah, it's um I mean, I think Rogan has always um made a reputation for himself for speaking his mind and I I may perhaps it's even more reason to be disappointed after, you know, numerous conversations and people that he's had on his show being educated about what this virus is doing. Uh you know, he has his opinions. All right, let's uh Quickly chat about uh, some quick ratings notes, and then we will get into Dynamite. Raw on Monday night, um, still finishing on top of the cable charts. Like, really, until we get into uh, the playoffs, like, Raw should be dominating Monday nights. But they did fall to a 1,775,000 viewers, a .49 in the demo, falling almost 20% in the 18 to 49 figure. Um, Big losses among their 18 to 34 audience. That was down 36%. Men 12 to 34 was down 31. Uh, However, throughout the show, uh, their viewership only dropped 2.5% throughout those three hours, which means there are some gluttons for punishment. Um, I saw so much (laughs) anger from people after Raw, and it was was not even so much the show. it It was like death by a million paper cuts. It was, this was the final week where it's just like this show is collapsing creatively. And we hear burden, that every week though. We've heard that every week for the past. I do like, five feel years. this Monday, like it just felt to me like I could seriously recap this show in 10 seconds for you. Bronze in the main event at Backlash. We had Randy and Riddle team up and Nia Jax slipped. And that was raw. I don't doubt that at all. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it would have saved us a lot of time on Monday night with that type of review, but I think many of the people that are watching right now are people like us. You know, we have to do this job. Okay, maybe there are one million seven hundred seventy-five thousand podcasts. Podcasters, they're get, it's getting up there. I have to say, but I think a lot of us are. You know, if I wasn't doing the show, I'd probably still flip on Raw once in a while just to check what's going on. And there are probably people who are actually you know far deeper into that creature of habit type of role that just they're used to doing this on a Monday. It's like we leave the thing on, we give it a chance, we get frustrated, but we come back the next week. I 1000% guarantee I'd be out. SmackDown, I would watch. Like, I generally, SmackDown is a fine moving show for me. There's good weeks, there's bad weeks. That that comes with the territory. There's no other show I currently have this feeling of with, with, with Raw at, at, at this time. I would 100% be out right now. Yeah, yeah, I probably would too. Uh, but there you go. I mean, throughout the show, they... Uh, the the male eighteen to forty nine audience, you and Miway, grew ten percent throughout the show. So that means the podcasters were calling up their friends, saying, "Dude, Braun and Drew are coming up in hour three. Plus, 
we're getting Nia Jax in multiple storylines. So brace yourself. Um, the peak hour was in the second and that was raw. So there you go. It was, it was down this week. Um, considerably the Roddy Piper documentary on Sunday, uh, it was down from the Austin one, but I think that was to be expected. I thought going against the Oscars was going to maybe have a big impact, but man, the, the Oscars got killed this year. Like 10 million I, people watched this. I watched the Oscars and it was just incredibly boring. Um, what was the setup like? Like there was no people there, right? It was just like individuals? Just the nominees. Yeah. And it was like sort of like in this almost like big cavernous hall with like windows um, and it was like a bit of a strange production, uh, you know, th- because they were trying to maintain social distancing. So you didn't really have it, it was definitely like um, somewhat unusual. But I thought it was really strange how they wouldn't do um, video packages for a lot of the nominees. They would for for some of them occasionally. But overall, it just felt like an understandably like, you know, very different. But also, I would say a very dry production. And, you know, maybe the, the nominees didn't attract a lot of people this year, but yeah. Um, the, the big difference with the Piper documentary, I mean, in the 18 to 49 number, they were down 29% from the Austin one, but it was the 18 to 34 and 12 to 34 audiences. Like it was a fraction of the Austin one. However, adults over 50 Piper actually outdid the Austin one by a very small amount. But I, as we talked about last week, I think Austin is going to be the peak of all of these documentaries. So I expected the Piper one to be down. Um, and and I would say it'll be interesting to see. We have Savage this week that, I mean, a pretty recognizable name across generations. I think it makes sense, you know, whether or not somebody would be interested um, on a subject uh, would be dependent on whether they grew up as a fan of that subject. We're talking about Austin, who is you know, like popular a good decade plus after Piper. I would imagine the Savage one would probably do better than Piper, um, but maybe skew towards the same demos. Uh, Most Wanted Treasures was almost identical to last week. Like they they were actually slightly up in, in viewership, um, slightly down in the demo. So I think that show, have you seen any of it? Because I, I haven't watched either episode. No, I am curious, you know, to see how they have Stephanie and Triple H do this type of it's show. A, it's I a neat concept. I, I like the idea of it. It's it's not mm. it's not gonna fit into my uh viewing every week, but it's a I think it's a neat concept to mm-hmm. to, to do. And NXT fell to seven hundred and forty four thousand viewers, point two two in the demo. Um so it, th- this was NXT taking quite the plunge in viewership and it was mainly um their younger female audience that that dropped and 50 plus that dropped 12 and a half percent. However, even though their demo was slightly smaller this week, uh, they jumped like uh, 16 spots on cable. So that tells you the competition was significantly less this week. But um, yeah, in viewership, I, I think you would be a little um, disappointed that they they fell this much. And it was that 50 plus audience that um Maybe maybe it will bear itself out that more of that older audience is either used to Wednesday nights or they like what they're getting on Wednesday nights because that has been an area that AEW has benefited from without the head-to-head competition. It's really interesting to think that somebody would like be so stuck on a Wednesday that they like they would just migrate over to the other channel if like wrestling isn't on. But I think tonight's indication of what this AEW will do might 
you know, present some good comparison points about whether or not wrestling is down across the board or if it's just simply Tuesday. And June the 6th way, that will be the night that we get to revisit Montreal uh, with the Bret Hart documentary on A&E. But will you be more interested in Floyd Mayweather Jr. versus Logan Paul that night? A Sunday night boxing pay-per-view, a special exhibition from Miami. I hate to say it, but I think I will be. Um, as I'm sure you will be too, John, because I don't I know how much more Montreal discussion you and I could take. But, um, you know, it's an attraction. I think anytime Floyd fights, even if it's, you know, one of these freak show fights that he's, he's involved in, people are going to talk. And I suppose with Logan Paul's really like building star power, like if his brother gets more popular, then he gets more popular. So it's it's really quite the way to follow up on that trailer thing. Yeah, which it's going to be so interesting that weekend because Triller is running their next event the Saturday, and then this fight is happening on the Sunday. So, um, yeah, Triller is – it's interesting because they're doing the freak show fight with Evander Holyfield, and then they have, like, a serious fight with uh, Teofimo Lopez, who is, like, a, an unbelievable boxing star. So th- it's kind of interesting they're doing that balance. Uh, but Jake Paul, um, shockingly, he will not take pe- take – a part in this MMA proposal from Daniel Cormier, but I, I find this guy to be really interesting, man. Like the, when he was speaking with, with Ariel the other day, I mean, he's pretty open about, listen, I am a troll and all of these fighters are just playing right into this because they're all coming at it from ego and pride, which is like what I'm, I'm not playing with ego. They are responding with ego and it's, this is the game I'm playing. And he, I think he's been pretty smart in just outlining what he's doing. And I think his next fight is going to be bigger than the Askren one. Well, in the case of Cormier, even though Cormier, I think did admit to like, you know, um, maybe being suckered in. I also think Cormier knows that this is one of the most popular people in the world right now. And any sort of conversation that he is involved in with him is ultimately better for Daniel Cormier too, right? So I have to imagine a lot of these fighters want to be the next Ben Askren, to be in a position to be able to make that amount of money in a fight. Yeah, and it comes down to, you know, Jake Paul, I think, being very smart with what he does next. Like, a Dan- I, I do not dismiss the idea that we will never see Jake Paul fight in the UFC. Like, I just, just based on how Dana has reacted to this guy, I do not dismiss it. Like, we have seen ridiculous ideas that have come through with UFC and I don't, I don't throw it out there. Like the if you top, were to ever- like the Sean Gagnon, was that his name? Oh, Sean, the Hinkle's cannon like- Gannon. Yeah. yeah. With Brandon Lee Hinkle in 2005. Yeah. They did that. They did James Tony. Like they, they've done stuff like CM Punk. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, that like Jake Paul would be a gig. The, the issue is that, you know, you court any of these UFC fighters, like they are all going to be, contractually obligated to UFC, Daniel Cormier included. And for Jake Paul, I think he is, I think Jake well, Paul looks at it like my fight will be bigger without UFC than, than going there. I mean, I imagine it would be a similar to the Connor Floyd thing where like Dana would probably get a cut. Well, they'd have to co-promote if it was with, with a UFC fight. Absolutely. So there you go. Those are uh, some of your news items. Uh, you can catch all the rest up at postwrestling.com. Uh, lots uh, going on in in the world of pro wrestling and MMA. But now we shift focus to AEW Dynamite. And man, there was a lot uh, a lot on this show. 
and we started off. There, there's always a lot on the show, and let, maybe let's just pause right now and just, just talk about the pace, because like some something else, um, Tony Khan mentioned in that interview was like the benefit of video, video packages. packages. Yes, yeah, he admitted that you know video packages serve a great purpose, and he's been they've been avoiding doing them because out of fear of people switching to the other channel, and he hopes that with NXT kind of like you know no longer in competition on the same night that he could do more video packages. And I am begging for the day because as a note taker for the show, it's exhausting. I have Dude, to I don't stop for two hours. Like it oh is. Oh my God. I, I started the show 12 minutes late and I never caught up. I never got to being live. It has the opposite problem of Raw in that so much of Raw you could fast forward. And I understand why AEW does this, not just because of NXT, but also because they don't want to be Raw. They don't want to be as boring with, you know, like throwaway material. But it's almost too much on the other way around, where it's just like, there's so much going on. And yes, I am a note taker, but even if I was watching this show, I think there's something to be said about breathing room, just to kind of let things let things sink in, let things simmer, just, you know, per, like being able to breathe a bit more. And that's where, and not to mention the fact that video packages, as we saw today from the brief clip with uh, uh, 10. Preston Vance. Preston yep. Vance, like they are incredibly helpful to really kind of fully flesh out characters and develop stories. So I, I just can't wait for for them to do a lot more of that. Yeah, like certainly like their their internal data might contradict this. But for me, the viewer watching this, I especially understood the need for all the picture in picture when you're going against NXT. And you might still make the argument that you don't want to give people that out. But me personally, the viewer, give me a chance to catch my breath. Give yes. me a breather. We had... um of this show tonight, we had six matches and five of them we utilized picture in picture during the match. There's no break. There's no just let me go to the bathroom moment on the show unless I'm going to fall even more behind. And it just like give me give me half of that. Do three of the six matches with picture in picture. But I think you can assess different things now that you don't have your direct competitor that let your audience just exhale for for a minute. I totally agree. And I'm at the point. They might argue too that, listen, our audience sticks with this show through the end and picture in picture helps with that. So, I mean, you have Mm -hmm. to go with what the numbers provide you. I'm just saying anecdotally myself, I think we could ease up on the picture in picture, especially now. Yeah. Um, You know, but, you know, at the very least, I think more video packages and, you know, non in-ring material would be very helpful. Brian Cage versus Hangman Page started the show where Page was jumped by Team Taz and we've got Taz on commentary calling him a rotten bastard. The Dark Order is out. Cage powerbombs Page on the ramp and then the match begins with Page selling the effects. He gets thrown into the guardrail multiple times but then makes his big comeback, moonsault off the top to the floor and goes for the buckshot lariat with it, which is caught and hit with the F10 for a two count. Cage power bomb buckle bomb and then he hits the drill claw and you're watching man are they gonna beat hangman page one two three brian cage wins and i will say this way that for all the talk about like rankings and win streaks and pushing hangman page as the number one contender i was like genuinely surprised and you talked about monday how none of these matches mean anything this meant a ton when you saw Paige finally lose. Like, I thought this was, like, a genuine surprise. Me too. 
Me too. First of all, let's talk about the match. I I really enjoyed this match. Cage just looks awesome. He and Paige. Uh, and I'm surprised like the announcers didn't screw that up this whole time. Cage and Paige both look tremendous. Dude, we're about to get Cage and Cage. Like They are obviously going there next, so that that's going to be Cage, tough. Cage, Cage, and be... Paige, and Paige eventually. Oh my I'm god. Sure. <laughs> uh, but these two have wonderful chemistry together. Both guys have like incredibly flashy-looking offense and brilliant execution, so I would love to see this one again. And I love the surprise finish. It's unpredictable, moves Cage right up into title contention, and it gives Paige one final obstacle to climb on his way to a title shot. You know, I thought it was kind of fishy that like they weren't really associating Paige with Omega, despite him being number one contender. And I think now we understand why. Maybe now is not the time for Omega and Paige at double or, or nothing. And maybe they wanted to delay that cycle a bit more. I think this told- guarantees you're not you're not going to that. But for a whole week, you had people speculating that we're going to get Omega and Paige. So it's now people are thinking of that match because now they want that match and it's been taken away but that is the long-term match and i thought it'd be way too early to do that at double or nothing so i really like the booking of this and i think that it keeps page a distance away coming up short to get this title match immediately but now he has an obstacle in brian cage and down the road like maybe we're talking all out at the end of the summer maybe that's the timeline we're looking at maybe further totally yeah I, I think also it was notable that this was a sub 10 minute match to start Dynamite. This we're was so used six to, minutes. Yeah. We're so used to like these 20 minute matches that they would have. And often, I mean, they're fun matches, but it's kind of to the detriment, I would say, of the booking, at least in this case. If this went 20 minutes, I'm sure it would have still been, you know, fine. But the fact that it went under 10, the fact that Brian Cage beat Hangman Page, number one contender, in only six minutes. I thought put Page uh, put Cage over that much more strongly, and of course they did have Excalibur, you know, explain that this was like he was attacked before the bell, giving him that out and that excuse. But nonetheless, I thought it it moved Cage up um, considerably. The elite are inside their limo. Uh, did you see being the elite where they? Yeah, did their. It was kind of a cheesy, you know, cutaway cheesy. explanation. Yeah, yeah. Oh, whatever. They escaped death. Callus notes that Omega is the new Impact champion, but um, they're going to do the championship celebration, which I think every champion has to do a celebration now. Of course, yeah. I mean, that's going to be on Thursday. Uh, They did not make a big deal of this Impact title win at all on this show. That that will be on Thursday. This was a pre-taped show, was it not? Yes. So I imagine maybe that's part of the reason. Like they they didn't clearly didn't even have the belt, you know, because Kenny didn't show up with either of them or any of his belts backstage. Or in the limo, so that's right. Um, was not much of an acknowledgement besides, you know, the graphic, and then them telling you that Kenny was the Impact Champion. So I don't really see AEW making too big of a deal out of it. You know, to me, this whole thing is maybe more meant to just kind of make Impact feel like a bit of a bigger deal, having Kenny now appear on every single show. Omega's pissed off because of what Moxley and Kingston did to their trailer, trying to kill them. They're used to fans and management trying to take them down. Omega's not afraid, but then a car honks and they freak out, but it was Michael Nakazawa uh, in the driver's seat pressing the wrong button. And Kenny addresses the camera and says, you want to fight? I'll give you a damn good fight, which is the famous Brett line when he accepted the challenge from Owen for WrestleMania 10. Wow, is that right? Wow, good callback. Oh, yes. I, that's a deep cut. Yeah. And he agrees that Nakazawa can face 
uh, Eddie Kingston tonight. Yeah, his name is M.T. Nakazawa now. Is that what he called him? I th- like that's what the graphic says, and I'm sure there was an explanation that uh, many of you will tweet me about. The Young Bucks had their title eliminator with Matt and Mike Seidel. And the Seidels are working in tandem before they get the heat on Mike during the picture-in-picture. Matt and Nick perform twin magic. Because I am always confusing Matt with Nick. They look so identical. And Rick Knox, who's known these guys for decades, (laughs) looked all confused. And Excalibur was like, all right, this is one of those examples where my credibility is at stake. I'm going to call bullshit on the fact that Rick Knox cannot tell the difference between these two. But Rick Knox is just like, what happened? Um, uh, maybe he's getting old. Well, Matt no- uh, blocks the Meltzer driver um, and catches Nick. Uh, sorry, this is Matt Seidel who blocks the, the Meltzer driver, hits a leg slicer jawbreaker combo to the Bucks. And then Matt... Seidel ducks a double super kick, hits a double Rana, and gets a near fall off a crucifix, then a leaping Rana onto Nick, and goes for his top rope Rana, where he crashes as Matt moves out of the way. Uh, Matt Seidel looked really great here in the in the middle of this. And then, I feel this was your favorite spot of the match, was Matt Jackson doing the Johnny Cage low blow as he did the splits and punched Mike Seidel in the testicles. I mean, I don't know if it was my favorite spot of the match, but um, certainly notable. I mean, this was the week that the movie came out. Um, can can we get a cap on the amount of cages on this show, though? This is too many. <laughs> I certainly didn't think Johnny Cage would show up. Matt gets knocked off the apron, Matt Seidel, and then Mike is hit with the BTE trigger, the Bucks win, and then in comes Brandon Cutler with the ice packs and the and is spraying Matt and Nick Uh at the, the cold spray, the cold spray, making it like uh, American debut. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's one of those things that I, I guess, is really popular in Japan, but I don't really see people use here. But in the context, well, he sprayed of enough for there to be nerve damage to their necks by the end of this. Yeah, I want some of that. They should sell that at like Pro Wrestling Tees or something. Try to get in on that. That was a fun match. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought Matt Seidel looked really good in this. Like it was, it was a fun Bucks match. Uh, Frankie Kazarian and Christopher Daniels come out. And they bring up the promise that they made in December, which is a long time uh, if you're a Dynamite viewer to remember. But he does recap that if they lose again, they will stop teaming. And since then, they've gone undefeated. They're the number one contenders. And we are the biggest threat to your titles. And Daniel said he was looking forward to wrestling his friends. But instead, I see entitled, overdressed bitches. And your new attitude sucks. We're going to take your titles once you find your balls and sign the contract, and we're going to make this business better with you assholes out of it. It's a great promo from the two, especially Daniels. Very good. You know, prior to this, I can't really tell you that I've been thinking too much about this Daniels Kazarian thing, like pretty much out of sight, out of mind by this point. But you could definitely rely on the probability of these two veterans to make us care again. I thought these two did a great job. And it looks like they're going to do this Next week is a four-way eliminator match, and the winners get the tag title shot, but not at the pay-per-view on May 12th. So Daniels and Kazarian have to win the match next week, or that would be a terrible conclusion to the story. And it looks like you're going to do the title match in two weeks' time. I, at this point, I don't know if SCU versus the Bucks is a hot enough match for a pay-per-view. Like, for an undercard, sure, why not? 
But I, I, I think you've, you see, we've seen so little of SCU lately that it feels to me more like a TV match, you know, and, and like AEW, I think is known for like making their TV matches feel important. And if it's sort of the promise of SCU's breakup on TV, I think it might be better served. Then we had a feature on Jade Cargill on all the managers that are coming after her, but all of, all of them want a percentage and maybe she wants to be like Jake Paul, who's just doing one fight contracts with, with Triller. Uh, how does that work in AEW? She's just on a show by show contract. They got to pay top dollar and and give her points. I don't know if she's going to get booked that often. She says that these managers need to impress her because I'm that bitch. So back to back bitch drops. (laughs) Back to back bitches. Well, um, this is the real race in wrestling. How many bitches can we get out in one show? I think the bitch card gets passed around decently in AEW, but I, I think Jade Cargill, at least for now, has a permanent pass. Who had the better one, Daniels or Jade? I'm going to say Jade. Yeah, she's got it down. Orange Cassidy versus Penta uh, with our first Pixies play on the show. We got two tonight, Way. Mm-hmm. Too many. Too many. Got to keep it to one. Well, they're trying to get their money's worth. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Alex Abrahantis and Penta do an inset promo, and they are going to beat Orange to pulp. Jim Ross referred to the two as nerds. Penta gets into his face, continually slaps down Cassidy's hands when he goes to put them in the pockets. Then Penta slowly removes his glove and tosses it as Alex catches it, like he's uh, catching the, the flowers from the bride. And then Cassidy does the same with his glasses that Trent does not catch. I will tell you this. Throughout this match, I kept thinking, if they book this match at WrestleCon with like 2,000 people, this place would go absolutely insane for this. Absolutely insane. Oh, totally. I, I, in fact, I felt like it was exactly one of those matches transplanted into to an AEW audience. And, you know, I know it was a lot of audio sweetening on this pre-taped show, but I thought they created a pretty good atmosphere. Uh, we saw some great stuff here. Orange Cassidy uh, did did the pose with Penta, but then Penta goes after the fingers. He dives to the floor, and Penta catches him in a military press position and dumps him onto the edge of the apron. And then, like, he held him up with one arm. Yeah, he he lifted him up with the one arm and then he hit like a version of like the last of the dragon for a near fall goes for the arm breaker, but orange is able to get his hand into his pocket gets, gets up and lands a super kick, which they end up going back and forth with. There's a destroyer by Penta package. Pile driver gets countered with beach break, but the shoulder isn't down as Bryce Remsburg notes. So the match continues. Eventually Abrahantis gets on the microphone and says, if you thought what Penta said about Trent's mom was bad, and as he goes, he gets tossed into the ring by Cassidy, and with the distraction, Penta attacks Cassidy, the package pile driver gets blocked, and as Bryce is dealing with Abrahantis, Orange Cassidy takes the the microphone and hits the orange punch with it and gets the pin on Penta. So the idea is that Abrahantis introduced the microphone, which cost Penta the match. A little convoluted for the end, but I could watch these two certainly have, like, I-, I thought these two had 
great chemistry together. And I think that it was, uh, if you can get over like some of the ways of which they got to the finish, um, I, I thought this was a really fun match. This is my match of the night. I thought this was tremendous. And it felt exactly like the type of match you would see on a WrestleMania weekend that people would be saying would have stolen the weekend uh, in some circles. It it blew me away. I thought this was like both men at their best that we've seen them on in AEW um, kind of doing their signature spots, both of them. You know, it's been a long time since we've seen the hands in pocket spot, I feel, from Orange Cassidy. And uh, he brought it back out here, I think, with good timing. It felt like we had taken a good enough break from it. And then he, like, the rest of the match was just, like, great wrestling. He's a very special performer in that the shtick is incredibly unique, and he does it so well. But underneath it all, he is this awesome underdog babyface wrestler. Great selling, great intensity on his comebacks. Uh, I thought this was one of Orange Cassidy's best AEW matches. It, it was, like, the, the wrestling was just fantastic. Um, I thought these two really gelled significantly well together. Shivani interviews Britt Baker, who is now ranked number one. She's ahead of Thunder Rosa and also ahead in merchandise sales, demo ratings, and star power. And it's time to remind people she's the face of the division and says, Sheeta later. No, that one did not uh, register with you. It's all right. Okay. Well, that's good. Future title match coming up. Yeah. Nothing. I want I want your analysis word by word of what Britt Baker said. <laughs> Double or nothing, you think? It has to be, right? I think so. Yeah. Like they're really loading up some of these upcoming uh episodes of Dynamite, but I, I think this one could wait till the pay per view. There's no rush to get to it on TV. How many weeks are we away? Like four? It's May thirtieth. Well, so we're, we're almost a month yeah. away. Still still We got some time. Mm-hmm. All right. Then it was time for the parlay. Tony Schiavone brings out the pinnacle, including Tully Blanchard, who's back, followed by the inner circle, who had their security detail come out on motorcycles. Mm -hmm. This is how I want us to start our next live show. Do we know? Do you know anybody who rides a motorcycle? That is a good question. I definitely have in different parts of my life, but currently, I don't know if I know anyone who has a motorcycle. I think we'll get, maybe we'll get our friends on bikes. E-bikes. Okay. Maybe we could have, like, uh, Robert Pearson could, like, make some animations of some people on bikes. Bicycles, for that matter. Have you have you considered, like, I see a lot of these scooters around, electronic scooters around the no. city. You never considered getting one? No, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm big on just walking. Yeah, yeah, you're a good walker. Mm-hmm. So... Then it, this was great. It was like they were all like at attention, just staring down one another. I thought it had a like a really cool visual element to it, um, just the way they were blocked in the ring. And Sean Spears snatches the microphone away from Tony Schiavone, says, there's going to be no coin toss. We deserve the advantage in the match because we were lured into it. And I should go over. Schiavone explained the rules of blood and guts that it will start with two. We'll have a five-minute period. And then every two minutes, a new member enters. Once all ten are in, you can win by submission or surrender. And unlike the wording last week, uh, it is not going to be a one-match event next week they are advertising other matches which i think is the right call i would say i would not absolutely dismiss the idea of one match two hours is a lot i would not lean towards that but if i was ever going to do it 
I would never advertise it in advance. I would actually promote several matches and let the match go the whole episode so people don't know I'm sitting down for a two-hour match or a 90-minute match. So I, I think they – I think this is the better way to advertise this for next week. Do you believe this was like a change in direction and that they had initially planned on this being a one-match thing? I mean that clearly seemed to be the copy that Tony read last week. Hmm. One match event. Like that was how they, they announced it. So I would I, imagine I, it, just, it was some adjustment. Well, I it just makes me wonder what they were gonna fill all that time with. Cause um I could see this match going like can you see this match going an hour even? Because like if yes. we're talking five minutes. But five I could, minutes honestly, way I could see next week they've announced a bunch they've announced what, like four matches, including blood and guts. I could see them cutting one of them where this goes long and they just next week we'll go, we'll get to that match. Like advertise uh, more, but this ends up going long. Like I could see this going 40, 45 minutes of television time. Well, how's that going to work though? Cause no matter what, they're going to have to start this at a certain time. Um, and so what's the justification for cutting a match out, you know, like running out of television time. Like let's say this starts at nine o'clock and it ends yeah. up going up to five, two. Well, realistically, they're not going to put any match after Blood and Guts. So Blood and Guts is going to be the main event. If you're committing to starting Blood and Guts at 9 o'clock, then your assumption they, is that... They could explain, the though, that we don't know how long this match is going to go. So we are starting it early, so okay. we're not. We're going to give you a finish, but we have a we're match on standby. Like that, swing that's, out. Exactly. Like that's, that's been done in the past for, for shows where you've gotten like an hour-long show where the match ended up taking up the whole thing. So... Then we get into the promos and Spears says they deserve the advantage because we were lured into this match and this is not going to end well for you guys. When was the last time you even wrestled a match, Sammy? The answer was February 3rd. It's a long time. Well, it would have been been a lot less if he was uh, on the Impact shows. That is true. He said, I'm going to step on your head while you're drowning, Sammy. Guevara says that Spears has been a failure since joining AEW, and you were also a failure where you used to work. Now, nine times out of ten, I would hate a line like this pointing to something that you could associate with Sean Spears. My hope is that this means that next week, like there are a number of objectives of this match next week. It's not the top one, but I hope one of them is that Sean Spears gets something very big in this match because I think he needs a big establishment moment in this match to give him an identity in the pinnacle because he has been to me, the background player of the pinnacle so far. And I hope a line like this is telegraphing that next week he is going to do something incredibly violent and memorable coming out of this match. I think you'll see elevations and like big spots for several people. And yeah, I could see it with him. Sure. So then, uh, Guevara volunteers to start the match next week, thus giving the pinnacle the numbers advantage. I think the the inner circle really gave up this advantage without much uh, without much prodding. I mean, it really is a bit of a formality, isn't it, with these war games matches? Why even do the coin toss? I mean, it would have been very cliche to do the coin toss. Uh, we should just do it this. by crowd reaction, shouldn't we? Cheer for the team you want you want to start least. <laughs> Or like, like, come on. It's just like, it has to be the heels. Cash Wheeler pleads for Santana and Ortiz to not bring this version of them next week. The soft, complacent Jericho lapdogs, because you're not going to make it out under this version. Dax Wheeler says that 
someone's life will be shortened after this match. I've accepted that risk. You're in my world now. And then he brings up Santana and Ortiz's children. So next Tuesday, before you fly to Jacksonville, hold them close and whisper into their ear that daddy isn't coming back home. Dude, at this level, this moment, this segment was a a goddamn peak. This was incredible. You know, throughout this entire feud, I would say, like, you haven't really heard too much from some of the other members of the roster. And so Cash took all the airtime he was given here, and he went straight for the jugular talking about the kids. That's how you heat something up in 30 seconds. I I don't want to ever hear the argument that, oh, uh, we're watching a WWE show and someone's got a 30-second promo backstage. It's like, these guys had, like, 30 seconds and they were fucking great. Because mm-hmm. they probably thought for a week or at least 24 hours from the ne- the previous night's show, you've got 30 seconds tomorrow. Come up with a go-home message. Yeah. My God, did these two just nail it. Mm-hmm. So Ortiz is calming down Santana. And Santana says, have you ever been locked up? Because we have. And next week, the hands are going to do the talking. This was all in the delivery of Santana, who sounded great. And now it's MJF's turn. They let everyone talk except for Wardlow, which I thought was great. And Tully. H- Hager. Didn't That's right. Hager him. didn't talk either. You're right. Yeah. MJF addresses Jericho and he thanks him. There would be no AEW without you. You were the draw and the bridge for the lapsed wrestling fan to check out AEW. And to boot, you created the best group in wrestling. However, the pressure that's been on you to come out every single time and hit a home run. Because if you don't, you're taking food off of other people's table. Chris, your eyes are bloodshot. You look exhausted. Heavy lies the crown, and I'm going to take that heavy burden of a crown off you and place it onto my head. And my family will replace the inner circle. Your spot is mine. And Jericho gets the final word. He calls him a little prick. You don't inherit someone's spot like a trust fund you got when you were 18. You don't earn it through, or you don't get someone's spot through osmosis or Tetris. You earn it. Yes, I was curtain jerking in WCW at the age of 25, and it got me to where I am today. But by the time I was 25, I had already headlined in Japan, Germany, and Mexico, where I learned respect. If you want my spot, then a good place to start earning it is beating us next week. But you won't. We are blood and guts. We are a family. Jake Hager had my back when I was threatened to be assassinated in Abu Dhabi in 2012. Were you aware of that story? Um, I am certain if it's Jericho that there, this was, there is a true story behind this. I'm not familiar with it. What I remember um, around that time period is him going to Brazil where he stomped on the flag and was in a lot of shit down there. And that's what I, I remember. I'm not familiar with this story off the top of my head. Well, I look forward to hearing about it in a future podcast. And says, if you, you are going to have to kill us. And if 1969 was the summer of love, then 2021 is the summer of violence and pain for the pinnacle. And next week on May 5th, summer starts early for you. Way, this was my match of the night because this match had some genuine heat by the end of it. I thought this segment was perfect i love this this segment it was fantastic it was i think the epitome of what every go home segment should be prior to a big show 
people just talking, airing their grievances, delivering the best promo material that they could have to make you want to see the match. It completely nailed it, completely delivered on so many of the shortcomings I felt like, you know, um, the inner circle in particular had last week, Satana aside. But, you know, if we have to break this down in terms of like an undercard and main event, I thought Santana and Cash continued to steal it tonight. They were both fantastic. But when it got to the main event, Jericho and MJF, it's been, these have been championship rounds. And MJF clearly, like, I thought it was 10-8 MJF last week, but they had Jericho come out here with a tremendous close. And he delivered not just a great promo, he whereas he's relied so much on trash talk and comedy. This was just a straight up good veteran baby face promo from Jericho, like shouting wisdom at MJF with the credibility to back it up. So, man, this just got me so pumped. And I think like the heel baby face lines are very well defined at this point. You know, and the inner circle are like, they are baby faces, but they're not corny baby faces. They still have an edge and you still want to cheer for them. So I love this parlay. I hope it continues to be a tradition for Blend Guts. Best parlay in wrestling history. This segment was awesome. Like, I echo Mm -hmm. your sentiment that when it's a big match, this is the feeling you want to send to your audience on that final show. And it's it's rare that we get it. It it should not be rare because this this was a... This was like a consistent element of pro wrestling for the longest time, whether it was Jerry Lawler building up a big match at the Mid-South Coliseum or just whatever example you want. Um, uh, This segment to me was just, it was phenomenal. I I thought this was like one of the better segments of the year that I've seen. Really, the promos throughout this entire thing have been really strong. And I'm really glad like by these final weeks that they've managed to create rivalries within the rest of the group with each other. So now, like, FTR versus, you know, Santana Ortiz is already a match that you have booked and made. Uh, what is it? Sammy versus, you know, Sean Spears, whatever you want to get to that. Like, that has a re- relatively decent amount of heat attached to it. And, of course, Wardlow and Hager. Do you see some big consequence coming out of this? Like, there is, like, almost that if you have the pinnacle win, for instance, that it's something where, where Jericho disappears for a while. Like, you have to do some vicious... I think yeah, pinnacle has the pinnacle has to win. If you're going with that, I think it's Jericho that needs to be beaten down at the end, and Jericho disappears for a while. Like I, I don't know what, um, you know, at, at a, I'm sure. Like had the pandemic not occurred, we would have seen Jericho disappear for a time for for Fozzie commitments and such. And you have to wonder, like, is Jericho now that he's done this babyface turn? Does he go away for a while after this match and really sell the effects of it? I think and, and the other remaining members kind of um, continue scramble. to feud in his absence or something. Totally. I, you know, I think he can lose and then not return until double or nothing. Solid month away. Or even longer. Like it could be, it, it, it all depends on like what he has going on as well. But man, I thought they set this up really well. And yeah, next week feels like How a have big, you felt- big show. Now that we're like a week away, how have you felt sort of about about the timing of Blood and Guts and the decision to put it on TV? I get why they're doing it on, on television. Like it's not to me like one is superior to the other. It's like I, I think you have to do big things on television. I think that's a long-term goal of just grow, continuing to grow that audience. And this is – I'm glad they didn't do this any sooner than they did. It's like they're unopposed. It's been several weeks. And to me, if there was anyone that has kind of been 
on the fence about tuning into AEW that had not been or seeing how big of an audience can we attract. Um, I know it's brought up. It is Cinco de Mayo in the U.S., which I have a hard time, like, understanding, like, how significant that is. Because, like, here in Canada, it, it's not a, a big thing here in Canada, whereas St. Patrick's Day is. But we don't have, I, I think, the the equivalent understanding of what impact that could have if it's going to be a night where a lot of people are going to be out or not. Um, but in terms of build, I don't think you could have done a much better job. The promos have carried this thing. And I think it's just the novelty too of blood and guts that has been this match that was supposed to be delivered over a year ago. And now you're getting it on television. And I, I think it should represent like the ceiling of what an AEW show can do um, under these circumstances. I'm very excited. So they followed that where Michael Nakazawa was in the ring and Eddie Kingston comes out. He's not doing any of this sports entertainment crap. He calls out Kenny and says he knows how this works. Or Kenny says, you're supposed to know how this works. You don't get the champ by just calling me out. You get knack. And there he is on his laptop and Kingston nails him with an exploder and a back fist and he's going to break his ankle. But Omega says, well... Nakazawa knew what he was he signed up for. You're not getting me. And brings out Cutler as well. And Cutler is knocked out from under the uh entranceway. And out comes Moxley. And they bring Omega into the ring. They lay him out, and they're gonna shatter his ankle when Don Callis pleads and will do whatever Kingston and Moxley want. And what they want, Moxley says, is a tag match against Omega and the dipshit with the laptop. And Don Callis agrees. See you next week, says Kingston. So this tag match will occur next week. And I think they're once again uh, introducing, like, I think you, like, have several candidates here of where this Omega title match is going with. They're certainly leaving you with the idea that it could be Moxley or Kingston. And then there's the kind of outside program of Brian Cage has now beaten Hangman Page and is going to face Christian Cage that that could produce a contender as well. Yes, yes. I'm just laughing at the uh, the cage, cage and cage page, page things in a steel um, cage. In a steel cage. Yes, thank you. Yeah, uh, maybe it, I, I have to imagine double or nothing for Kenny will somehow involve Mox or Eddie Kingston. I do I not want a triple threat. I do not want a triple threat. Me neither. But I also can't see them doing Mox and Kenny again. You know, it just seems like you can't do that after the explosion match. I also what don't if, know if what if Kenny says, "I will give the title shot." But it's for you two to fight it out to determine who gets the shot. Ooh, versus I like Kingston. That. I like that a lot. But what do you do with Kenny then? Kenny gets the winner. Like on double or nothing? Yeah. The same night? You could do Moxley and Kingston on TV. Or you could do it on the pay-per-view. Yeah, and Omega gets the winner that night. That's That's another option. Yeah, yeah. I guess like the attraction there would be, okay, Kenny versus Mox for most people. And I don't know how big of a draw that is. I don't know how much people buy that either Kenny or, sorry, either Moxley or Kingston could unseat Kenny Omega at this point. You know, nonetheless, like, I think any sort of big Kenny match you could, you know, will attract a good amount of attention. Um, do you shut the door on some sort of multi-man match deal with, like, the Elite versus the team of Moxley, Kingston, and somebody else? No, no, that's, that is your option. I mean, if they are going to do Stadium Stampede again, that's probably, it's the elite 
versus your your team of Moxley, Kingston, and whoever else you associate there. I, I don't throw that one out at all. I, I see that as as a relative possibility if you're not going to do a title defense. Can I just say, like, in comparison to Monday's review, we're an hour deep into this, and like we're barely halfway through this show. Whereas, like, we were pretty much done. Like, we went long with news on Monday, and like those were extra documentary reviews, and we like finished raw in like i don't know 30 40 minutes wait there wasn't a whole lot to discuss on it i like i i do understand kind of like the, the middle In ground comparison, to it. there's so much on this to like to navigate and discuss shivani is with taz and this is where christian shows up saying that taz used to be one of the toughest guys out there but he can't back it up he can't back his talk up anymore with actions and christian represents everything he wishes he could do by making a comeback and I'll go through Team Taz one by one. I believe in win or learn, meaning I think he read uh, Conor McGregor's coach, John Kavanaugh's book, Win or Learn. You know, uh, in, in did, you, did they, you hear about uh, proper number 12? Uh, they, they have majority shares. Conor and his two partners, uh, Adi Attar and uh, the, the other partner involved, sold their the majority stake in proper number 12 for around $600 million. Good for them. Wow. So I'm saying the whiskey well, business is looking very attractive way. Yeah. You and I, it's nice to hear about, uh, you know, underdogs, um, finally yeah. making some money. Yeah. It's Connor is going to get through uh, fiscal 2021. Uh, and he says that Team Taz would be better off without Taz. So a Christian, a cage cage showdown coming soon. I really like this promo from Christian. Um, maybe the most substantial one he's had in AEW so far. I like the story and the logic that he, you know, explained. Taz wishes he had the the ability to make a comeback like Christian has at his advanced age. It's a very simple and a concept and, you know, to me made a whole lot of sense and really dug deep to me to, to from K Christian to Taz. I just wish like Christians for some reason, like everything he's done, it feels like it's largely taken place backstage. And I just don't really get the sense of like his stories being all that important in the grand scheme of these shows. Like this was a great promo. But it just took place in the middle of a backstage interview and therefore didn't feel like all that important. You know, I like I like Taz out in front of the people too when he's screaming. Like that to yeah. me is my, my preference of Taz. You know, instead of a Christian coming out, maybe getting the intention of the full live audience and then delivering some lines like this. But I guess, you know, that's the problem when you have so much on the show. Penelope Ford with Kip Sabian making their return took on Chris Statlander, who came out to the Pixies. They've got to limit it to one one playing of the song on, on, per show. Just Orange Cassidy. I, I totally agree. Uh, Statlander did a military press, and then Ford uh, looked like you know she was selling, like her knee was tweaked. They uh, traded strikes on the floor, and then Ford uh, or Statlander got distracted with Sabian and got nailed with a boot. They go through the break. Uh, Statlander hit the Solar Express that Ford kicked out of. And then as Ford went for a handspring off the ropes, Statlander stopped her and hit the Big Bang Theory, which is like the bastard driver, and pinned Ford as Kip Sabian and Orange Cassidy argued on the floor. And then Statlander gave Ford a boop. <laughs> Funny hearing you say it. That's, uh, that's Brandon from New Jersey's uh, edit point. 
really good aggressive pace from both of these two good looking offense from the both of them too uh really good showcase i thought for statlander upon her return and um you know i feel like it's been a while since we've seen penelope ford in like singles competition on dynamite but you know we continue to see the state of her in-ring improvement and i think she's really gotten quite good yeah, no Miro involved here, but that would uh, still come later on. This is where they aired the Preston Vance feature, and I thought that it was short, but I really like just that you attached, like this was not just Darby Allen against Challenger of the Week. It was Preston Vance explaining that it was Brody Lee's influence that got him into the into the Dark Order, and now he has a chance to bring the TNT title back to the Dark Order, and for him, this is the main title in AEW, all due to Brody Lee. I thought this was just a great, uh, it just gave you like a rooting interest in Preston Vance to succeed. Automatically made him a huge baby face, just like in this little, you know, 30 seconds or however long it was. Um, and, you know, his delivery was really not like strong. I wouldn't say it was like classically energetic in the way a pro wrestler would, you would expect a pro wrestler to sound, but I thought it worked here. You know, it felt genuine. He felt like, you know, he felt, he felt vulnerable as he was speaking. So I, I couldn't I'm, I'm, it. Like this was, you know, straight from the guy's heart. I'm sure mm-hmm. like this was not any kind of like a story that he was coming up with. Like this was just a guy giving his true feelings. Like I'm sure he looks at this title as very uh, emblematic of, of Brody Lee. And it just, it gave this um, uh, like a realness to it that people mm-hmm. completely are invested in. So the factory arrive on the nightmare family bus. Yeah, this bus. It's got Pharaoh on the side. I was waiting for Lex Luger to come out of it. Yeah, yeah. How many guys in AEW think have buses? Um. Well, Paul White has one, or at least he, he did does, in his okay. WWE days. So I imagine he still has it. Cody. Um. I don't know. I don't know what the bus situation is like. In a, in AEW. QT Marshall, Aaron Solo, and Nick Camaroto versus Dustin Rhodes, Billy Gunn, and Lee Johnson. Gunn's ribs are all taped, selling the effects of the Anthony Ogogo body shot last week. And Tony compares Camaroto to Bruiser Brody and Billy Jack Haynes. You agree? I see a lot of Pempero Furpo when I look at Nick Camaroto and that, that guy from Survivor. Do you, do you know who I'm talking about? The guy with the tie-dye. No clue. He was in one of the earlier seasons. Richard Someone Hatch? In, no, it wasn't Richard Hatch. This was like a guy with like crazy hair, and he wore the tie-dye. If you said his name, I would remember it, but I, I can't Never remember his name the off, the top of my, uh, off the top of my head. Damn, it's going to bother me now. Someone's going to tweet you. Rupert? Rupert! It was Rupert. Yes, that's who I'm shout thinking out, of. Shout out John Pine. In the chat. There you go. Rupert and Pempero Furpo. That's Nick Camaroto. With tassels on top of it that Nick Camaroto was uh, sporting here. <laughs> they beat on Dustin forever. Uh, during this match, we got the the crawl at the bottom of the screen for all the new shirts. And, Way, I want to know what it would take and how many drinks before you would leave your home wearing a shirt that reads, bitch as fuck. How many drinks? What um... would it take to wear a shirt like that in public? I don't know if it'd be drinks that would make me do something like that. Maybe another substance. I don't think any <laughs> amount of drinks would make me put that shirt on. Well, there you go. 
there was this crazy like corkscrew Fosbury flop by Lee Johnson that looked spectacular. Uh, but then upon landing, Anthony Agogo nails him in the body, then body shot to Billy Gunn, who went down like Adonis Creed. And then with Gunn selling the effects, QT Marshall uh, makes the tag and he ends up pinning Lee Johnson. After the match, Comoroto blasts Dustin with a cowbell. I guess we're we're building to a uh, a bunkhouse match between these two. And then Austin and Colton Gunn come out. This is after the factory has left and QT's on his own. Uh, they beat on him till the factory returns. Uh, and QT bails and heads to the parking lot towards the bus where Cody is hanging out at the entrance of the bus on the doorstep. So uh, many questions here. How did Cody get here? Was he in the bus the whole ride from Atlanta? You would expect Cody to have a spare key, wouldn't you? And we also know these AEW buses have like special, you know, hidden doors. I want to know what charges could QT be facing? Like he stole this vehicle. They made it very clear he had stolen Cody's bus, crossed state lines. I mean... This could be a felony. Well, we saw Moxley and Kingston drive like a, a truck into another bus last week, and they seem to be okay. So that's true. That's true. Not good the, lawyers. The Florida authorities are a bit on on lax here uh, in Jacksonville. So they fought, and they fought on top of the bus, and you had all the wrestlers surrounding them. I thought someone was getting tossed off the bus. I think everyone thought that. Ooh, yeah. Um, man, that's a big spot. I know it was. I was glad they did not do that. I don't care how many people there were that were there to catch you. That's a, that's a big jump. If it was a Darby Allen match. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It would have happened. But I I just thought it was like a really cool visual. You know, we maybe I earlier, like speaking of like how Christian and Taz's feud at the moment still feels kind of small in in the background doing this, a, 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 a moment like this as visually grandiose as it was with the whole crowd standing in front of the bus made this feel like a big deal. And then we got the figure four on the roof, which as we learned uh, with with the, the raw commentary booth, everything hurts more at elevation. I'm sure it's something to do with blood circulation. Yeah. And they're going to have a match next week. We've got Cody and QT Omega and the dipshit with the laptop against John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. Britt Baker in action, a four-way eliminator match with SCU, the acclaimed, the Varsity Blondes, and Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, along with Blood and Guts. So five matches announced for next week. I could certainly see something getting cut, maybe, where they announce it and then they run out of time or something. Like, I I do feel like that, that Blood and Guts match has to go, I would say, at least 40 minutes, I'm expecting. Oh, at least, yeah. If there's anything that I think I would like them to say for a swing belt, I hope it's Cody and QT because it almost feels too early to go back to that right away. Sure. So maybe, but it's kind of unlike them. They've never done something like that before, but they've also, you know, they're like, I'm sure Tony Khan is up for doing unconventional booking. Big announcement, though, is in two weeks. In two weeks, we are going to get John Moxley against Yuji Nagata on TNT. So the forbidden door continues. Yeah, I really am ready to retire this this forbidden door <laughs> term. Like it is just, I don't know. To me, it's like it take your most aggravating WWE ism. That's where I'm at with the the forbidden door. Yes, well, I'm sure we can come up with something else. Uh, the for, forbidden 
window. The working relationship. How about that? The working relationship, sure. Well, at the very least, this seems to be the second instance of a New Japan wrestler showing up in AEW. And, uh, are, you know, what, what did you think? What does this speak of uh, the AEW-New Japan uh, relationship? I think it's what everyone was expecting, that the more I think that, you know, th- t- this is an extra step because, you know, with Kenta, I mean, he still it l- lives back here in Florida. So, I mean, it was convenient. This seems to be a specific instance of a New Japan wrestler uh, being sent over here, uh, which seemed to be for the sole purpose of wrestling here for AEW. And with the New Japan title being defended on AEW with yes, the New Japan branding right. everywhere on this graphic. So really fascinating, really interesting. I mean, I guess New Nagata is uh, somebody who I suppose you would consider expendable if you're on the Japanese side of things. Does that mean we can get Minoru Suzuki? Who else can come in? I, th- I think literally anyone. Like I'm, I'm looking at it that it will only, what will be interesting is what new Japan's schedule is after dominion, because you don't have the G one until the fall. And what is, what is their July schedule going to be like? Is there going to be, um, a a lull in the schedule? Like last year, um, they ended up doing, they came back and they did the new Japan cup in July. And then they built up to that big outdoor stadium show in August, um, and, and centered it around like some of those. Uh, what is July going to be like in New Japan? And will there be some ability to free up some talent? Because in July, I mean, you've got Impact now teasing the idea of Naito and Okada coming over. Yeah, which I don't really see happening. But, you know, anything can happen, I suppose. The other thing is, you know, is this still going to be strictly um, strictly box opponents that kind of have this treatment? Or will they broaden the agreement to allow people to interact with others? On the roster. Hey, how? what's the count going to be on the floor? I It's an AEW ring, so I imagine 10. But it's a New Japan match. Oh, good question for a New Japan title. That's a very good question. These are all the uh, the interesting questions. So I, I think it's I think this will be a really great match. And as much as I'm looking forward to the match, I'm looking forward to the road to with Yuji Nagata. Oh, I, hope they, I hope they do one for him. I think you need to do like a a solid package on Yuji Nagata for people that are not familiar with Yuji Nagata. Yeah, yeah, I I I think so. I mean, if you're booking y- Yuji Nagata, I feel like they they are catering to the audience that you know is already familiar with him. But you're right, yeah, a lot of people wouldn't be. Kip Sabian is in the back and says everything is fine with Miro, and he walks into the room, and boom, Miro just destroys this guy. Where have you been? And he rams him into this garage door, chokes him with a chain. It's time to pay your dues. And he shuts the door on Kip's wrist and then hugs him. I forgive you. Good talk. I thought this was awesome. I think Miro continues to surprise me. Like we've had a glimpse of his intensity, but now we see a bit more complexity in the character where he does sort of like the unhinged thing where he attacks you, but then hugs you as if it was supposed to be tough love. So he's, he's not just a brute anymore. He's a brute with layers. He's James Gandolfini, I think. Oh yeah. I think that's what he's going for. Main event, Darby Allen and Preston Vance for the TNT championship. Um, they noted, um, this being, so it's, it's the fourth straight title defense on dynamite but during that stretch he also defended it on the uh the house always wins uh house show 
with the butcher. So you've got this being the fifth defense um, over the last number of weeks. So Allen uh, chop blocks the knee that uh, Preston Vance is wearing a brace on. And it's uh, Darby going after the fingers as he applies this Fujiwara armbar and is bending at the fingers. Sting stares down Vance from the floor after Vance gets the advantage. And then on the turnbuckle, Allen is stepping on his hand. He does a somersault to the floor onto Vance and Allen Angels. And then Sting backs off the Dark Order, who all stand down. And then Ethan Page appears, running Darby into the post. Of course, Rick Knox didn't see this. There's a slingshot wheelbarrow suplex for a two-count on Darby. And then um, Darby nearly gets caught in the full Nelson, and they bring up what is Vance's grip strength because the hands have been worked on. And Darby tears away at Ten's mask, gouges him in the eye, and then he goes off the rope and gets caught in the full Nelson. And it's locked on, so Darby kicks off the turnbuckle, flips over, hooking the legs, and he pins Vance. And they had this overhead shot of Darby, who looks like he just escaped with his title and was in a lot of trouble. And they put over that he has now made nine title defenses of the TNT Championship. I think a very good match. You know, I think considering perhaps like what we've seen of Vance thus far... This, to me, exceeded expectations. I thought it put a lot of pressure on Darby Allen to be able to, you know, command and deliver a compelling main event with somebody who might be a little less experienced than your typical AEW competitor. Um, I thought there were several tests for Darby in this match in that, you know, you have um, a competitor in Vance who is a giant, yet after that video, he is undoubtedly the bigger underdog. Well, I think in terms of rank, he is the underdog, but also in terms of motivation, he is the baby face. How could you not cheer for this guy to win after that? So I thought it like demanded a lot of versatility from Darby Allen to, you know, be the undersized guy yet feel like the favorite who, you know, um, has to, I'm not going to say play heel, but like he can't just simply rely on his typical baby face tricks. And I thought he delivered that. And that's something like We've seen from the Cody run that, you know, the TNT title really demands of you. You have to be able to work with a variety of opponents in different circumstances. And I thought Derby did very well. I find that to be always more compelling for the champion that can be versatile. It's not it's not a heel turn. It's just he adjusts to the opponent. And for the story of the match, it was better for it. And Allen will go to these lengths to keep his title, such as tearing the mask and 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 working like right up until like the parameters of the match allow. So I think that's for the betterment of these title matches that Darby can switch from side to side. So uh, I enjoyed this after Darby held up uh, the Brody armband that Vance had been wearing standing alongside Vance and sting when Ethan page returns and Scorpio sky jumps sting and Allen from behind they're stomping them down. Sky applies a heel hook to Sting while Paige forces Allen to watch until Lance Archer runs them off. And we go off the air with Tony Shabani yelling, One championship's coming up next. We're out of time. They load this show, man. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, shout out to John Cena on Shot in the Dark, who uh, suggested a great idea of having. I mean, they're not going to do this if like they're going for the championships, but. Man, like, if there was some other way of booking this, having Sky and Paige be the ones to end SCU streak, break them up, you know, think of what that would do for Sky and Paige, right? Yeah. Sky, Sky in particular, you know, to break up, like, his best friend 
like his best friends, you know, run towards the end. But it doesn't seem like they're going to be doing that. Um, I don't think they'll have time. I mean, I think like they have to win the match next week or they have to break up. And then you've yeah. got the title match. So it's either you put the titles on them or they break up in two weeks. Might be better off like doing the title thing. But, you know, the meat of all this that I think most I personally want to see is Ethan Page and Darby Allen like do their thing. Um, and, you know, this it's it's a little I, I'm a little, a little scared messy. because doing their thing means Darby getting thrown in a body bag to the floor. And that was pretty frightening the first time. Yeah, well. It to me is the best opponent for Ethan Page right now, but like right now, I I can't really say like this whole thing with Archer, Sting, and Darby is like all that uh, attractive or even clear to me. It seems like you have so many pieces, plus you have the Dark Order, so maybe it depends a bit of organization. But I don't know. Well, Sting's working this now to get Lance Archer TV time. It's like we're going to get into these brawls and then you can make the save and therefore you get TV time because we've established AEW isn't giving you television time despite your, yeah, you, you know, they go with you and then they put you on ice. What is Jake? What, what's Jake, Jake's involvement? Um, Just maybe, to cut promos. Maybe he's working with uh, Sky and Page. They need a mentor. He's tired of Lance. Um, Yeah, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I want Jake the Snake Roberts speaking for Ethan Page. Quite the uh, quite the personality for Ethan Page to play off of. Yeah, it would be. Hmm. So that was Dynamite. Um, I, I thought, uh, man, I just thought the parlay was such a fantastic segment. I thought that was the highlight of the two hours for me. Yeah, these shows are always like very strong, you know, match quality wise, promo wise, they always leave you with something. And I thought like, man, Blood and Guts is something I'm looking so forward to. So they really have done a great job. Man, I just, it's, it's, it's a bit, is a lot though, like in a two packed into two hours. I think, I think it demands that things get a lot more focused in the next few weeks. It's like we have all these loose parts and I think, but not done without a purpose. Like, the hangman page stuff, like I think you could see those those steps in action and where things are kind of like you're gonna get these scenes kind of condensed into our core pay-per-view matches for next month. So I do think over the next four weeks, I think they'll dial in a lot of these things that they have like it's just this this kind of wide view at all these different characters. How are all these intersection points going to meet uh for the pay-per-view? So Hopefully that's the case over the next four weeks as we start to get uh, a clear picture for Double or Nothing. Well, Blood and Guts, I think they've done a good job of making it feel like it's a very important, you know, semi-pay-per-view level show. So once that's over, I imagine a lot of things will get clearer. All right, let's go to forum.postwrestling.com. And tonight the show gets a 7.64 out of 10. We start off with Peter Forsberg, the great. Excellent episode overall, day and night compared to Raw. No weekly wrestling show needs to be three hours. Makes it such a slog. I love the opener with uh, Cage and Hangman, two of my favorites. Penta needs a bit, needs a new bit. How many times a match does he have to say Cerro Miedo? Excellent wrestler, though. The parlay also felt authentic and real and was just plain awesome. Complete opposite of Braun and Drew the other night. Also, way I love the Felix the Cat Pop Band reference the other show. Ha ha. This is my favorite goalie. Steve from Cambridge says, I didn't watch Japan, so this was my introduction to the Bucks and Omega, and nothing they've done has impressed me. The Bucks are just the rockers, but way worse actors. Kenny has moments, but he seems awkward on TV. 
And did Kenny say motherfucker in the limo? No, he said mother father. Um, I can't rewind, but I swore that's what I heard. And then he just has a lot of kind of loose thoughts here about his uh, viewing of it. So, wow, this is a lot of thoughts. Yep, thank you. So not not great for I think reading, but um, if you want to read it, go to the forum. Uh, Jesse from the six. Not great for reading on air. I should specify. Yes. Uh, he says the summer of love was 1967, not 1969, and the fifth of May is firmly within spring, not summer. He did say the summer comes early. That was the line. But the 1967, you got uh, it right. I don't know. I wasn't alive in 1969. I when I think of uh, when I hear 1969, I think of the the Brian Adams song, the summer yeah. of '69. Summer of '69. Yes. He says, do you think that AEW relies too heavily on five or six guys in terms of airtime? The Daniels and Kazarian angle is a great story, but they haven't really told it because SCU has hardly been on TV. I'd like to see a little more variety than seeing Kenny, the Bucks, Moxley, Jericho, MJF, and Darby every single week. I mean, those are your key players. So, I mean, it's to me, you are like Darby to me is an MJF especially like that's. Kind of the what you want, Darby. The fact that Darby is even in that conversation tells you that they've done a good job with Darby Allen. I think so too. Like you, to me, like the whole point of everything is you, the creation of new stars and MJF and Darby being so heavily relied upon. I think that's that's a testament to it. Um, you can argue you're going to have personal taste uh, either way, but I mean these these are your your core players that that you've named off here. Uh, do you really think TNT will air NHL on Wednesdays? I assume that's when ESPN would want to air the premium Wednesday night games. Uh, the ESPN deal, it's going to be much more weighted towards ESPN Plus than it is ESPN, the network. Um, so no. Um, and wouldn't TNT want their own night to feature hockey stars like Alex Ovechkin and Andrew Ferentz? Um Well, it's, again, as we said, nothing's been decided. Who? You know. Um, Felix Potvin and Marcel Cousineau's favorite uh, players. Right. Finally, we got a kid who says Brian Cage. Seeing Brian Cage give Hangman his first loss of the year felt like it came out of nowhere. But because of it's AEW and not Raw, I believe it's something that will play into a storyline. I'd forgotten that Moxley had issued his challenge to Nagata, so finding out that we'll get that in a couple of weeks on Dynamite rather than on Strong was a great surprise. I don't understand, though, why New Japan, AAA, and NWA can have title matches on Dynamite, but they can't talk about Kenny winning the Impact World title beyond brief mentions. At this point, I'd just like an explanation, even if it's just, we don't want to, because I just want to feel like they're aware that it's weird. Although the build to Blood and Guts has been quick, I think the promos tonight were so good that having more time could not have me more excited to see what happens. Yeah. Any any further thoughts on the Impact AEW thing? I have further thoughts that I guess it's it's like a debate about when the summer of love is. Like there is this debate between 1967 and 1969. Okay. So there you go. So maybe not so off base then. I will promise you that... <laughs> Jericho researches his promos very efficiently, so I would I would definitely dive into. Uh, I, I'm I'm learning all about this right now. What uh, this this uh, this debate back and forth way of 1967 or 1969? There's a whole thing. There, there's a whole thing. The summer of love is a frame is a phrase given to the summer of 1967 to try to describe the feeling of being in San Francisco that summer when the so-called hippie movement came to fruition. 
It is taken as an article of faith by some hippies that the word hippie itself was invented to cash in on the movement. Some people mistakenly believe the summer of love was in 1969, perhaps because that was the year of Woodstock. That's, mm. what, that's one explanation of it. Uh, what was the question about impact? <laughs> Nothing. It's not as important as, as that. Are we, I mean, does it have to be contained within one year? Could it not have been like How about stretch? the generation of love? Sure. Summers of love, you know, like a war. When you speak of like the World War II, it, you know, you don't just stop loving. You could love for, you know, several seasons. Definitely true. Hey, what's coming up on Friday morning, John? On the That's a great Cafe. question. On Friday morning, we are going to be going through our final review of the Rocky and its spinoff franchise with a review of Creed Two. Starring Michael Jordan, Sylvester Stallone, and Tessa Thompson. It will be myself, Wei Ting, and Ed Boxler returning once again as we will be uh, going through the 2018 release of Creed II and where all these characters go in the future. So uh, an updated list of rankings of all eight Rocky and Creed films will also be revealed. I'm incredibly excited for this review, not just to talk to you and to Ed, but just to 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 say goodbye to this wonderful character we've been going through the decade starting from almost the summer of uh summer of love john into the present day with rocky balboa in what you know at this point is said to be his final appearance as that character so uh it's a wonderful film everybody if you haven't seen it in quite a while it is essentially a sequel to rocky 4 because you have the son of Ivan Drago challenging the son of Apollo Creed with, you know, much like in our main event tonight, both men having incredible motivations to win. It's not strictly babyface versus heel. You have Apollo Creed's son, Adonis, wanting to avenge the death of his father at the hands of Ivan Drago. And you have Ivan Drago's son, Victor, wanting to avenge the embarrassment that Rocky delivered to the Drago name after the events of Rocky four. It is incredibly compelling. It's a great film. And I think you'll enjoy our discussion. I'm looking forward to that. And then uh, Friday night, we're back with rewind to SmackDown. And uh, we'll mention uh, that Thursday, the Bushby and Thompson wrestling adventure will be tackling the rise and fall of ECW DVD. And they will be joined by John Lister, who is the author of turning the tables, uh, a great book, a great resource on the history of ECW. So all of that is coming up. You know what I am looking forward to? What's that? Besides uh, Post Pro Res, a bonus show that WH is going to be dropping uh, coming up in the next uh, few days. I am looking forward to the fact that this weekend, it is a quiet weekend. There is a UFC fight night on Saturday. There is the Savage documentary on Sunday. But it is relatively quiet, which is not going to be the case. Have you looked at that weekend? I know you have because I mentioned it to you. The weekend of May... 14th, 15th, 16th, we've got SmackDown. We've got New Japan at Yokohama Stadium, which I'm hoping in a few hours after this uh, Kagoshima show we have some matches for. Then there's a UFC pay-per-view the Saturday night. And then WrestleMania backlash. Yeah. All in that one weekend. Oh, it's nuts. Yeah. And it's not unusual to have weeks like this in our schedule where everything just bunches up together. I mean, even like two weeks after that, it's the Tokyo Dome show, and then it's Double or Nothing. So. That's right. That's right. Those are all. It's a, 
It's like we have some quiet weekends in May, but the ones that are make up for the quiet ones because everything's bunched together. Can't they all just like coordinate with one another to be like, hey, let's 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 make it easy on these podcasters. Obviously, Triller and Showtime and Fan Meal couldn't because we've got, you know, consecutive nights of boxing in June. Well, it's a lot that's out there and we'll be here to cover it all. Well, as much as we can. So there you go. That is going to wrap things up. Thank you, everybody, for joining us live. Uh, for Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso Patrons, uh, we are live after Raw and Dynamite. And then all patrons can tune in live after SmackDown each Friday, which is when we're back, 10.15 Eastern Time. My big return to Rewind to SmackDown. I'm very excited. I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, towards the end of the month. So we thank everybody who's been with us in the Post Wrestling Cafe for the month of April. A lot of awesome stuff coming up in may so uh we appreciate all your support and hope you'll stick around and that is it so goodbye good night and thank you for listening to rewind a dynamite